morning. Good morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. That was my best Joe Barlow impersonation. <laughs> we are uh, we're getting Chick-fil-A biscuits. The new location had a little mix-up, but they'll be here, I promise you. So this is your fast. If you're fast with me for about 20 more minutes, we'll be all right. <laughs> you know, as far, you know, Joe, uh, Jeff reminded me that Joe likes to confess a little bit, so I'd like to confess something. I have a stamp collecting addiction, you know, but I've recently licked that habit, so. Oh, that's awful. That's awful. Dude, I don't think, I don't, I don't think I'd have told that. Dad joke. Dad joke. You, you can use that one. Um, but stamps tell a story, you know, uh, Bob, we were talking, I told him that joke, he rolled his eyes and almost hit me, but, uh. Anyway, he mentioned something. He said it tells a story, you know, and he's right. He's right. And I know your, Jim, Jimmy's dad had a really, uh, still does have a stamp collection. And when you look back through those, I've, I've looked through them a couple times, and you see these rare stamps from a time period that are long ago, different from today. You know, we have our stamps today. It's kind of like whatever. And But, but those stamps are... Are telling the story and not only that it tells stories of the time you got you got them right it's kind of like a journal right stories um one of the things i'm going to talk about really briefly before we kick in is the uh the stories of the psalms uh one thing that i've been doing recently that has really been good for me is there's a thing called a four-week psalter that sound i don't know if you've ever heard that before but it's the four-week cycle of the psalms so they picked out psalms to say, hey, these are good morning and evening prayers. Not just Catholic, all the different denominations have one. You can Google Psalter. I'll write that down. It's salt with a P, like Psalms with a P. So salt, third. And that's a four-week thing to like, like to help remember the stories of, of some of these guys back in the day, you know? And by the way, Jesus prayed these prayers. When he went away to pray, a lot of times in reference, he makes over dozens and dozens and dozens of reference to the Psalms. So if he prayed them, like maybe I, maybe I should too, maybe because those are our great, 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 great grandfather's journals and prayers. And I'll read you one this morning that I, that I read. Uh, may sound familiar. Speaking of stories. Uh, my soul lies down with among lions who would devour the sons of men. Their teeth are spears and arrows. Their teeth are spears and arrows, their tongue a sharpened sword. O God, arise above the heavens, make your glory shine on earth. They laid a snare for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my path, but they fell in it themselves. And so you hear these stories and these prayers and, and these are sung, you know, these are sung and and you, you know, as you go through these, you can kind of like hear these. Um, it's kind of like when you're outside of a church and you're not in the church, but you hear the music. You ever been that way where like there's something going in church, but you're not there, you're in the parking lot, but they're singing inside? That's kind of what the songs are. And so you hear this distant song, right? And it's really beautiful. And it, it's all the different emotions of the heart, you know? I mean, if you want to really get into it, you want to read some of these songs. Some of them are not, like Phil says, you don't do that in, in Sunday school. You know, they're pretty raw. And so some all these different emotions, it helps me. Like, man, Jeff, you've got to, like, be honest with God. 
Like, look at how honest these men are being with God. So with that, um, I think that is that is a call for all of us to be honest in prayer and faithful in prayer. And, and I'd like to just uh, highlight one of the prayers that talk about living your trust in the, in the spirit of Ukraine uh, as we pray with them, for them, um, and, and just think about what it means to trust when you're living in Ukraine right now. Mm. Think about that. You know, people get down on America. We were talking about this before. We were talking about this before everybody got here. It's like we, we forget. Some people that have grown up with the security blanket of America, we forget what it means to have the military providing us with that security. We know it's there. It will be there. And we are protected. The most protected nation on the, on the earth. Ukraine is not, right? And so we pray with them. They're being attacked. And I'll share with you, you know, here's some lines that jumped out of me. This is called a litany of trust. It's just basically uh, a repetition of deliver me, Jesus. Deliver me, Jesus. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. That's a litany. You say some things and you kind of repeat those phrases over and over. Um, one of it says, from anxiety about the future, deliver me, Jesus. From resentment or excessive preoccupation with the past. Oh, God, deliver me, Jesus. Man, that's an honest prayer. Like, I can relate to that. And then finally, Jesus, I trust in you that you are with me in my suffering. So this is one of the prayers I pray every day. Like, man, I need to build that trust muscle bad. Like, I need to work on that. And I need to pray for people who are really having to trust a lot more than I have to right now. By the, you know, the graces and the blessings of this country. So let's, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the men and women that uh, model your son to lay down your life, how, how you lay down your life for, for your friend, for others, so that they may be protected and safe. And that um, we pray for Ukraine, that, that uh, they're suffering right now. They're scared, they're being attacked. Uh, they don't know if today is their last day. And so we lift them up in prayer and somehow in the mystery of prayer, let them know that we are with them mm. in their in their in their struggles. Mm. In your son's name we pray. Mm. Amen. Amen. Jeff. Morning, gentlemen. Morning. Morning, gentlemen. Morning. It's good to be back with you. Uh, I'd like to report that Gulf Shores is in good shape. Uh, it was a 40-minute drive from my house, but we survived the storm of last Wednesday night. Uh, Marty and I were talking about that. Uh, I have a friend that um, offered us a condo. Um, you know, it's kind of like uh, I've never wanted to own a boat, but I like friends who have boats, right? So I'm very grateful to a friend who has a condo that uh, loaned it to us, and we just could not pass it up. So Carla and I uh, took off and uh, hung out at the beach last week, and uh, it was great. I'm so, uh, very grateful for Roan and Ben, uh, pinch hitting. I'm sure you guys enjoyed that and got used them um, last week. Um, I'm excited this morning to uh, offer you a song uh, and uh, a visual. Um, and the topic that we're talking about this morning, and obviously we'll develop it and get into it, is facing unpleasant experiences. And certainly what we're all aware of right now is what's going on in Ukraine. 
And as I've mentioned to you before, part of what makes that Ukraine piece so painful uh, for many of us is how much we know um, of, the, uh, of the hundreds of thousands of, of, of uh, Christian brothers and sisters are in the Ukraine. So much mission work uh, has been done there uh, through the years, and there is God-fearing, God-loving people that are suffering uh, greatly. And all the, um, the um, newsreels, of course, uh, that I'm watching, and I'm sure you're watching, is just, it's just, it just looks like a black and white World War II uh, clip, doesn't it? I mean, it's just dark, gray, uh, drab. And it's just like, dude, um, Ukraine is one of the most beautiful countries um, on the planet. And so this morning, I wanted to show you a, a, a clip. The visual is really the beauty of Ukraine. Um, and I hope it breaks your heart to see what's happening in contrast to what Ukraine really is and its beauty, and yet, and yet what you and I are watching every night on the news. It's just, it's so sad. And, and then the song that I want to play for you is um, a song that is being sung and has been sung for a number of years by the Christian community. It's written by um, a Ukrainian, and I can't even begin to pr uh, pronounce his name. It's, it's there on your uh, um, uh, handout. Uh, but he's written this song, and this song um, is sung regularly and consistently. He's kind of like the Chris Tomlin of Ukraine, if you will. And so he's written this song. It's a beautiful song. Um, you're going to hear it uh, um, um, sung in his native language, of course. So follow the words on your page. See the visual. And I pray that it will break your heart and you and I will pray together for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine as they face unpleasant experiences. May you hear the voice of God.
God bless Ukraine. The beauty of a nation is being destroyed. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. So we continue. Follow with me uh, in our introductory paragraph as we begin. The power of relationship to restore and renovate us. Isaiah 58, 12. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins. Rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. Wow, what a, what a powerful passage again to think about once again what's happening in Ukraine and the task that they have ahead of them. Restoration of our soul comes when we begin our relationship with God through his son, Jesus. Restoration of our heart and mind continues because of this secure, attached relationship. So much Christian teaching tends to focus on right beliefs and right choices as the key to personal growth, but biblical evidence and modern brain science show that our character is shaped more by whom we love than what we believe who we're connected to, intimate relationship. The book of Isaiah will help us see how the promise of salvation would come through the Messiah. But in addition to bringing pardon for sin, intimate relationship with Jesus renovates us wholly, mind, will, and emotion. This study is about showing how we can train our brains to relate to God based on a joyful mutual connection with Jesus, which will lead to emotional, relational, and spiritual maturity. We need connection. Um, if we're going to be restored and renovated, uh, it is so much more about the relationship um, with Jesus um, than it is our moral behavior. Jesus did not come to teach us to be moral beings. He came to renovate us to take our shattered lives that might look like a Ukrainian newsreel right now. That's the way our lives would look if somehow we laid it out. And Jesus has come to renovate that, to bring the beauty back into our lives. So pick up your pen, let's go to work. And I have three questions for you. Once again, um, before we get into those questions, let me give you um, the overview of what we're working with in terms of transformation. And Jeff, pull up that slide that um, has number one and number two in terms of the transformation puzzle on it. This is in your outline. And again, the pieces of the transformation puzzle are three big pieces uh, conceptually. Number one, if we're really being transformed, we are developing an intimate walk with Jesus. You're not learning to be better. You're not learning to do better so much as you are learning uh, to be seen, 
feel safe and secure and soothed by an intimate relationship with Jesus. That's what an intimate walk with Jesus is about in beginning the transformation process. Enoch walked with God. That's all we know about Enoch. And that um, hopefully is what people will say about us. He walked with God. You know, he wasn't too smart and he sure was ugly, but he walked with God. He walked with God. Intimate walk with God is number one. And then number two, we're living in community. That's what this idea of church is intended to be, that we're connected to one another. We live on a team. Life is a team. We've got people that care about us. And there's people that we care about, people that we would die for, people that we're fighting for, not fighting with, but fighting for. And then the third piece are just the skills. And that's what we've been kind of working through. It's like I'm in an intimate relationship with God. I'm on a team. Um, and now I've got to go to work and I've got to learn skills. And, 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 and in theological terms, you know, this is called the sanctification process that I'm, that I'm learning and I'm growing in these 19 skills. We've worked our way uh, to where this morning we're at number 10 and number 11. So number 10 is we are understanding nonverbal skills. That, that I, can, I can be in your presence and because we are truly present, you can look at me, I can look at you and I'm attuned to what I'm experiencing with you. I remember Larry Crabb years ago, uh, I was uh, at a seminar that he was doing in Philadelphia and Larry Crabb said this, he's a, a Christian counselor that died uh, a couple years ago, uh, great influence on the Christian community and the counseling community. And Larry Crabb said this, he said, I'm always aware uh, when I walk into another person's presence how they're experiencing me and how I'm experiencing them. That, that's a conscious reality to him. And I thought, I thought that was, wow, I'd never really thought about it. I mean, it makes sense. It wasn't like profound, profound, but it was certainly something that I was, was alerted to. And, and oftentimes we're just clueless. You know, like we walk into the house at night and, and, our, and our, our wives say, what's wrong with you? Nothing. I didn't say anything. I didn't say nothing. Dude, you just carried in a boatload of negative energy. And it's like you cannot not communicate. And so you think because you're saying nothing that nobody's reading your body language or nobody's feeling your energy. And you just drug in the U-Haul full of trash into the house. It's, it's like we carry this energy and part of growing and part of being conscious uh, waking up out of our deadness is being aware of nonverbal skills. And in most, in, in all, most all of our professions and everybody's in sales, you know, you're, you're like looking at people. You're, you're like, you're like reading the body language, you know, and it's just like, uh Oh, they, they ain't buying what I'm selling. You know, I got to talk faster, something, you know? So 
part of growing up and becoming mature is learning our nonverbal body skills and, and reading the skills of another person. And then the second piece there is returning to joy from the big six feelings. And we'll go over that. Six negative feelings. I'm going to teach you um, a, um, a memory technique. When I was in uh, graduate school and really became a student for the first time since I was in high school, because I kind of like breezed my way through undergrad, uh, and, and, and I knew if I was going to go to graduate school, I had to get, had to get my game face on. So I had to kind of learn how to study for the first time. I want you to think for just a minute of six places in your house, six places like the front door, the living room, the kitchen, your bedroom, bathroom, garage, something like that. All right, six places. In a memory technique, if you want to remember something, is you place that which you want to remember in that place. So you're going to remember these six negative emotions that's so important for us to work with. There's six of them. And so I, I want you to get your six places in your house locked in to your head. And, and, and if you want to write those down on your piece of paper, that would be a wise thing. Six places. So I'm going to do front door, living room, kitchen, bedroom, bathroom, and garage. That's kind of that's kind of my trip through the house, right? All right. So here's six emotions, negative emotions that we need to learn to work with. Number one, fear. If you really want to grow, you've got to start figuring out what you're afraid of. I'm not afraid of nothing. I'm not afraid. Oh, dude, you are clueless in Seattle, right there. Clueless in Seattle. So fear. Number two, you can place it. In the next uh, spot, anger. You'll never forget this. Fear, anger, um, and then the third one, sadness. Sadness. You got to work with sadness. What's wrong? Nothing. No. What's wrong? Man, I'm heartbroken. I just found out my best friend has cancer, you know? Talk about it. So we've got fear, anger, sadness. And then number four is disgust. Disgust. I'm disgusted. You know what disgusts me right now is what's going on in Ukraine, right? Doesn't that disgust you? It's disgusting. It's repugnant. It's awful. It's evil. It's disgusting. I hope you feel that. Number five is shame. Shame. And shame is the emotional cancer of sin. Sin that we've done. I mean, aren't you ashamed of some of the stuff that you've done? I was listening to an Eric Metaxas um, uh, tape which, uh, or a podcast, and once again, you guys need to be listening to Eric Metaxas. Uh, he's just a great resource, podcast. Uh, you'll be exposed to a wide range of world, Christian worldview topics. 
but he was talking about an episode um, that he had in the fifth grade with the, with the little gal. And he said things to the little gal that to this day he regrets. And when, when I'm listening to this, uh, I mean, I'm flooded with some of the stupid stuff that I said to classmates. You know, and it's like, I don't, I don't want to remember that, but it brought shame up in me. And we've all done that. I mean, we've said things, done things uh, that uh, we've acted out or we've had it done to us. Shame. Acknowledge that. And then, and then finally, the sixth one is hopeless despair. Now, hopeless despair, every man in here has felt that at some point going through the hardest time of your life and it, it'll often lead to suicidal ideation is what we call it that i feel like i want to die i just i just want to die you know i don't think there's anybody in here that's committed suicide anybody committed suicide okay no hands that's good um but there's no doubt that most everybody in here has felt that at some point. You lost your job, going through a divorce, lost your dad, lost your mom, lost your dog, you know, whatever. Those six emotions we need to work with. So let me take you over to the questions and let's do some journaling now. Question number one. What do you feel when you're under stress and facing hardship? Where do you typically, typically go when you begin to hurt? And, you, and he began to hurt is what Luke 15 says about the prodigal son. He had gotten his inheritance, talked daddy into writing him a check, and he blows it all, goes to Vegas, blows it all and it says at about verse 14 and he began to hurt what happens when you begin to hurt some of you get angry and <laughs> you're just you're just cussing and fussing you know and you make it miserable for everybody you project all of your hurt what's wrong nothing and then some of you get depressed you know it's kind of like belly buttons you know, some are outies and some are innies. You know, some people project their pain and other people absorb their pain. What do you do? Write it down. What do you do when you're under stress and hardship? Some of you had different experience, everybody had different experiences in their home. I wanna give you just a quick list of what you may have experienced at home that'll, that'll help you understand how you learn to handle your feelings, your emotions. Five different options that you may have experienced in your home. You may have grown up to where you were told that your feelings or hurting someone else. For example, it may sound like this, stop crying, you'll make your mom feel bad. Wow, 
that'll get you in my office at about 45, maybe 40, something like that. I, I love that. You know, it's paid for my mortgage. That's crazy. All right. How about number two? Maybe this is how you grew up. Um, maybe that you just were, were labeled. You're such a monster. You're such a cry. You're, you're such a cry baby. Now I, I've had men tell me in, in, in our groups, that's what my daddy used to say to me. You're such a cry baby. And then make fun of the little boy. Now who does that? Creepy dads do. Creepy dads. How about number three? Um, maybe only certain emotions were allowed. Uh, you, you could only feel happy. You couldn't feel sad. You, you could not feel sad at your home. That's cruel. Sad happens. Number four, maybe you grew up in a home where you saw no emotional expression and everything was just shut down. Um, many of you know my story. Um, I spent 30 days uh, in a mental hospital years ago. Uh, I had a hospital bracelet. I'm very proud of that. One of the greatest losses of my life is when I cut that hospital bracelet off, I threw it in the trash can. Dude, if I had that thing, I'd have it mounted today. It'd be one of my most prized possessions. Uh, so I am certifiable crazy. I have a passport that says so. But what was um, so disheartening is Carla and I um, drove to Tennessee when, when I got out of the mental hospital and we were sitting with Mama and Papa. And I'm trying to, to share with Mama and Papa what I've just been through. And my, my, my dad looks at me and I remember I'm, I'm sitting on the floor in front of the fireplace and he's sitting over in his, in his, in his chair and he's just completely bewildered by what I'm sharing. I mean, I could have told him that I'd been to Mars, I'd landed on um, um, Mars and I'd picked up some rocks and I had brought him some rocks from Mars. And that would have been more acceptable than what I was trying to say to him. And he looks at me, I'll never forget this. He looks at me after I've kind of told my mental health story. And he says, you know, I don't know why you're so worried about these emotions. Why don't you just shut them down like I do? <laughs> Welcome to the mental health hospital. Thanks, Dad. I guess I get to do the work that you never did. And that's how that works. The fifth one, maybe, maybe you grew up in a home where emotions were just dramatized and everything was catastrophic and everything was big. Oh my goodness, the sky is falling. And then in order to defend yourself, you just shut it down. My point is this, emotions are God-given parts of life and they're to be honored emotions are like caution lights they're not red lights and they're not green lights necessarily they don't necessarily tell us to go or to stop but they are certainly caution lights that they are intended to alert that there may be a logging truck 
coming out of the east or coming out of the west. You can, you can blow through that four-way intersection and totally disregard the caution light. You can do that. But many times as I drive down through Loosedale and McGee and all that, dude, I watch for the caution lights and the logging trucks. Those things are run, run over you. Okay. So that's what feelings and emotions are. I want to show you um, a quick video clip that um, is about uh, nonverbal cues. Um, and it's an incredible video of a mother and a baby. And what happens with this mother and baby is pretty understandable. I don't think it's so profound. Uh, you kind of intuitively know this in a sense. Uh, those of you that are fathers and we've seen our two-year-olds and all that, we, we understand how that works. But when you see this from a little bit more of a 10,000-foot perspective and, and see the, the, the process that's going on, it's like, guys, this goes on for the rest of our life. We understand it in two-year-olds, uh, two but it goes on forever. Watch this. I'm Vanessa Van Edwards, and I'm a behavioral investigator. Today, I want to talk to you about the seven universal facial expressions. Dr. Paul Ekman is the one who discovered that our facial expressions show our emotions. And he discovered that across genders, across races, across cultures, there are seven universal facial expressions. I think that when you read these facial expressions, you can discover and detect the hidden emotions under the words. So you ready to learn them? Let's start with the first one. The first one is disgust. So disgust is the face you make when you smell something bad. So you can try this with me if you want. Just show the upper teeth like this and crinkle your nose up and make that uh gesture. That is disgust. Now people make this not only when they taste or smell something bad, but also when they don't really like something. So if you ask a teenager or a friend, hey, what do you think of that new girl? And she's like, uh, you might know what she actually thinks before she says something. The next one is anger. So this one is really important to know before you get into a big fight. Anger is when you see these two vertical lines appear between your eyebrows. So with me, if you can pull your eyebrows down and these two vertical lines appear, and then harden your lower lids and tense your lips. That is an angry microexpression. The funny thing is when you do it right, you know you start to feel just a little bit irritated. That's called the facial feedback hypothesis. So not only do our emotions cause our face, but our face also causes our emotions. The next one is sadness. This is the hardest microexpression to fake. So ready, try it with me. This time we're gonna make a frown. So take the corners of your mouth and pull them down as far as they're gonna go. Then I want you to puff out your lower lip. Even if it quivers, that's really good. Now pinch the inner corners of your eyebrows together so it looks like this. If you start to tear up, if your eyes start to water, that means you got it right, because that is the precursor expression to crying. The next one is happiness. It's my favorite micro-expression. So most people think that happiness is just a smile. But actually, the only true indicator of happiness is when these upper cheek muscles are engaged. And only one in 10 people can consciously activate those muscles. 
So what I want you to do is make a smile, and then I want you to go as far up your face as you possibly can so you get these nice apples in your cheeks. If you really want to feel it, you can put a pencil in between your teeth and spread your cheeks as wide as possible. It looks like this. That's that nice engagement. You'll know a fake expression, a fake happiness expression, if someone goes, yeah, I'm so happy for you. But that smile never quite reaches their eyes. The next expression is fear. So fear is what we do when we're trying to protect ourselves. So let's say that you're hiking in Forest Park and you see a snake. Your eyelids and your eyebrows jump out of the way so you can take in as much as you, as you possibly can. So you open your eyes really wide, you open your eyebrows, and then you go, <gasps> that is the fear expression. So when you hold that fear expression, you're able to take in oxygen in case you have to fight or flight and see your environment around you. So if you pull your eyebrows up and widen your eyes, you'll actually begin to feel a little bit anxious. The really close micro expression to fear is surprise. Surprise is a little bit different though. You raise your eyebrows as far up your forehead as you can and then you drop your mouth open. It's the longest of the micro expressions. So it looks like this. So watch the difference. Fear has flat eyebrows, whereas surprise has upside down U's. Watch, this is surprise, and this is fear. That's really important for parents. If you're asking someone, did you know about that incident at school? The difference between no and no is a very, very different set of questions. The last one is contempt, and I think this is the most powerful of the micro-expressions. It is simply a one-sided mouth raise. Looks like a smirk. Either side of the mouth, any kind of asymmetry means disdain, pessimism, or hatred, and it's the one you really wanna watch out for. So if anyone says something positive along with that smirk, you know you have something to watch out for. Here's a little test for you. Now I want to see if you can guess which micro-expression I'm doing. Are you ready? Those are the seven micro-expressions and I can't wait for you to start seeing them in your own life. you've seen the whitest teeth in the universe. <laughs> that girl has got white teeth, does she not? Um, that's not the video that I'd intended to show, but that was my fault. Uh, that was the, uh, another video that I'd looked at and thought about showing, so that, that was totally on me, on Joe's. But it certainly kind of applies what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. You're disgusted that that was not the baby and the mother that I intended to show. So it's a little bit incongruent. Guys, even growing in our faith means that we are present and our emotional lives uh, are an important part of that being present. And so as we're growing in maturing and being transformed, uh, we're understanding our emotional world. Um, the question number two here that I invite you to work with, how do you face those six that I worked you through? Fear, anger, sadness, 
disgust, shame, and hopeless despair. Um, I want to read um, in, a, in a spirit of vulnerability and openness what I wrote in my journal. Uh, I, love, I love these journal books that I get from a guy over in Shreveport that finds old books. He cuts the back off of them and then puts the wire binding uh, around it. And so my journal is the boy's book of adventures. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a seven-year-old's uh, uh, book, um, and he leaves some of the original pages in it, which I love, and then, and then and puts the blank pages in it. This is my journal. This is what I wrote last week. Dear Lord, so much going on in my head. Each morning I fight the battle in my head for peace and connection. I often feel alone and fearful, but I believe those feelings are a lie. I choose to believe I'm not alone, that I'm loved, and that Jesus is with me, empowering me to live each day. Therefore, I give everyone and everything to you, Jesus. I ask for more Jesus. And Jesus, I ask that you would restore me to what you planned for me from all eternity. And then I read Psalm 124 that morning. Jesus is on my side, always with me, always for me, always present, always listening, always cares. I wrote on another day. I'm grateful for this day, this moment in my life. Today, I give everyone and everything to you. I ask for more Jesus. Restore my union and connection to you, Jesus. I'm struggling to get done what all I had hoped to complete this week. Give me wisdom and guide me in what is important and relevant. May I get done what needs to be done. Um, guys, being present and being real in our journal and, and, and working through what we're feeling, not just what we're thinking, gets us out of our head and into our heart. You are not connected to yourself or to others if you're not working with emotion. So I'd ask you this final question. What relationship did you count on to carry you through your greatest hardship? Who do you go to? Some of you may be going through the hardest time of your life right now. Don't do it alone. Who did you go to? Who do you go to? Who would you call? Who, who are the three guys on your speed dial? Got to live on a team. Identify those. And if you don't have those, then say, God, I need those. Help me identify them. Help me go there. So um, now is that in, 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 uh, is that in way of introduction, let's begin. <laughs> <laughs> Turn over to Isaiah chapter uh, 11, and we'll finish with this. God always gives us a great uh, model and in, in, in this series that we're doing on transformation, we're, we're using Isaiah and his prophecies as the model. 
Isaiah prophesied um, when Judah was going through a horrible um, Ukrainian type of challenges. And he comes to Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 11. And Ahaz was an evil, brutal, ruthless, wayward idolater, godless in every way. And he was the king of Judah at that time. The northern kingdom had already fallen, and Ahaz was trying to make deals um, with uh, rogue powers to try to protect himself and what was getting ready to happen through the Babylonians. And in the midst of, of Ahaz's waywardness, God uses Isaiah, and Isaiah gives him this prophecy. And it's an, it's an amazing um, passage to read when you understand the context. Judah uh, was being threatened by powers outside. And Isaiah says this, a green shoot will sprout from Jesse's stump, from his roots, a budding branch. The life-giving spirit of God will hover over him, the spirit that brings wisdom and understanding, the spirit that gives direction and builds strength, the spirit that instills knowledge and fear of God. Fear of God will be all his joy and delight. He won't judge by appearances, won't decide on the basis of hearsay, He'll judge the needy by what is right, render decision on earth's poor with justice. His words will bring everyone to awed attention. A mere breath from his lips will topple the wicked. Each morning, he'll pull on sturdy work clothes and boots and build righteousness and faithfulness in the land. Who in the wide, wide world of sports is Isaiah talking about? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And every morning when I wake up, when you wake up, and whether we're being threatened by outside powers or just the internal struggle that we all feel, I never wake up in the morning just praising Jesus and joyful, joyful. No, I have anxiety. I wake up and it's like, oh, wow. Now, I'm a morning person, so... I like getting up because the longer I lay there, the more miserable that I feel. So I, I've learned it's better just to go ahead and get up and be less miserable on my feet than on my back. But it takes me a while to get my monkey brain moving. I don't just gravitate toward Jesus. I gravitate toward hell. And it's like, guys, this is such a powerful picture. Now follow with me, verse six, pick up with verse six, and, and, and I'll just read this to, to verse nine. His glorious kingdom, I belong to this kingdom. Now listen to this. This is, this is who I belong to. I'm a citizen of the king. The wolf will romp with the lamb. The leopard sleep with the kid. Calf and lion will eat from the same trough, and a little child will tend them. Cow and bear will graze the same pasture. Their calves and cubs grow up together and the lion eats straw like the ox. The nursing child will crawl over rattlesnake dens. The toddler stick his hand down the hole of a serpent. Neither animal nor human will hurt or kill on my holy mountain. The whole earth 
will be brimming with knowing God alive and a living knowledge of God, ocean deep, ocean wide. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. That is an incredible picture of restoration. I believe in that. I believe in that transformation in my own personal life, and I believe it in the transformation of a world that's crazy. I don't want to be anchored in the news. Do you? I want to be anchored in God's word, what he says. And just as Isaiah was saying to Ahaz, something's going to happen in the future, and Ahaz just couldn't get it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Jesus wins. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We are all terrified. We're fearful. We're angry. We're sad. We're disgusted. We feel ashamed. And sometimes we even uh, feel despair. But Lord, I thank you for what you have done uh, through Jesus. You continue to do uh, through Jesus and you will do through Jesus. May uh, we walk with you today and help others that you bring our way. In Jesus' name, amen.